Hello all, this is James O'Hara and you're listening to Politics Today. Uh, I want to start this one out with a new little addition to our Politics Today podcast and that's to give you a little uh, fun fact of the day. So I'll start you off with your fun fact. It's August 30th um, and back in 1967, Thurgood Marshall, who is one of my heroes, uh, becomes the first African-American Supreme Court justice in American history. And for those who don't know much about Thurgood Marshall, um, there's a remarkably good movie about Thurgood Marshall called Marshall, and Chadwick Boseman plays Thurgood Marshall in it. So kind of honor Chadwick Boseman, who passed away of cancer, um, tragically, only 43 years old, um, after fighting colon cancer for four years. Um, To honor him, all of you should go and watch it. I believe it's on uh, Amazon Prime, Netflix, all those things you can find on streaming services. Um, And it's a fabulous movie. covers um, an early part of Thurgood Marshall's um, career as a lawyer. But Thurgood Marshall had quite an amazing career as an attorney. Um, Obviously, most of you probably heard of Thurgood Marshall when it comes to the Brown versus Board of Education case. That was the case that he fought before the Supreme Court. Um, and he was a big pusher, obviously, for the NAACP and rights and civil rights movement um, with getting natural court cases done. Because what a lot of people miss out in the civil rights movement, um, we cover Martin Luther King Jr., of course. We cover uh, the March of Selma, all these different things that happened in, Martin Luther, uh, in the uh, civil rights movement itself. Um, but a lot of people miss the, the legal side of it, um, that there was actually a lot of court cases going through, that the, the real fight wasn't through the streets and the marches, even though that was the most visible but in the background is where a lot of stuff was happening with court cases. And Thurgood Marshall was a huge part of that and getting those things to the Supreme Court and getting rulings, which would then, of course, further the civil rights movement in a legal law basis. Uh, and, of course, in 1967, he becomes the first African-American Supreme Court justice um, in United States history. So uh, we'll honor Thurgood Marshall with that fun fact. But we've got a lot to talk about today. I'm going to talk about two major things. Um, first is the Republican National Convention and the violence, of course, that's going on in the streets. So this is what's happening in politics today. Um, to start off with the RNC, the Republican National Convention. Last week I did a podcast on the Democrat National Convention Convention, and uh, went over what was going on there, the highlights, the lowlights, the, the different uh, views people have on what was happening there. And overall... I think the DNC came across okay. I think it was good. Um, I think, as I said before, Joe Biden's speech I thought was a good speech. Um, I did criticize Barack Obama for his speeches, but now let's get into the RNC itself. So it was their turn this last week. Four days of a lot of high production value stuff. Um, I, I'll start there. They blew away the DNC as far as production value went, which was kind of ironic. The DNC was full of celebrities. And uh, high-profile figures, and yet it looked more like your normal Zoom meeting you'd be having than an actual uh, convention, which uh, the Republican convention, they definitely flipped that on its head. Very high production value. Um, Even though speeches, most of them weren't live, uh, they were definitely cast in a better light as if they could have been given live. I thought that was pretty good. Um, I watched my coverage of this over a few different stations and networks um as an inform informational person for you i like to view my information from a bunch of different resources i don't rely on just one news outlet or not um i especially don't rely on some of the major ones 
um, like Fox News or uh, NBC or ABC. But I did watch coverage on a multitude of news networks to see how they were kind of covering it. And the main thing I wanted to see was the difference between how the DNC was covered and how the RNC was covered. And I'll start off with day one. And I'm going to try to break this down, not day by day for you, but I'll start off with day one because it was the first day of it. Um, First things first. Um, I watched some coverage on PBS, and PBS was – I watched a lot of the DNC coverage on that um, and listened to their their viewpoints. And like – unfortunately, PBS used to be, in my opinion, one of the more neutral – of the group. Some people might disagree with me on that, but I think they used to be pretty fairly neutral. Um, and when their bias came out, it was pretty obvious where it was coming from. Um, but they seem to have fallen into the ranks of all the other mainstream media news sources, um, perhaps because they feel they have to compete. I don't know what it might be, but they seem to follow this format where you bring on talking heads and reporters to comment on what's going on, and there's almost always three or four liberal left-leaning talking heads or commentators, and usually one, maybe two, conservative-leaning or right-leaning talking heads on this. Now, when I first watched the DNC and watched some of the coverage, I thought, well, it's the DNC, so... When you're watching a Democrat national convention, it is probably normal to have Democrat operatives or Democrat spokespeople on to give you your your information, right? Or people that lean that way because obviously they're covering something that they mostly agree with, right? Um, But it didn't change. Same people covering the Republican convention, no difference in the the uh, people that they put out there. So the coverage was definitely everything was it was point counterpoint, which is. Different than Democratic Convention. Democratic Convention, not point-counterpoint by the media. It was point-made, point-reinforced by the media and finding a way to reinforce each point that was made. I mean, when Michelle Obama spoke, they they you know figuratively had trickles going up their legs as they were so excited about her speech. The same thing for Barack Obama. Um, whereas when the RNC was going on, it was an adversarial journalistic enterprise. So... Every time a speech was made, uh, it was immediately, that was the point that was made, and then the counterpoint was being made by their entire panel of people, and in, including the anchors. And this happened uh, even more severely on ABC, and horribly on M- NBC, but uh, it's, it's the same basic format, right? So Democrats get point reinforcement by the media, Republicans get point counterpoint by the media. So it's, a two, it's two different uh, approaches to coverage. And one is a, a friendly, more friendly approach, and the other one is an adversarial approach, a purposely adversarial approach. And so we saw this play out, of course, with the RNC, which it wasn't a big surprise. The media is left-leaning. That's basically how it is going to be. Um, but the most egregious thing I saw, and this was on multiple networks, was the utter inability, or rather... The, the actual thought-out ability to cut off people who are speaking at the RNC. So coverage for the RNC began around 9 o'clock or so for primetime coverage. And I think in something kind of masterful by the Trump campaign, they had a lot of people of color who were speaking, a lot of African-American people speaking. This is a highlight on the DNC 
when a DNC had someone speaking who was a person of color, whether it be African American or Native American or Indian or or Hispanic or, or some some other minority that's out there, they were immediately the media was to point out, oh, this is a person who's a minority. It's a person of color. They constantly were saying it. I think the Republican convention did an excellent job showcasing Republicans who are minorities, African Americans, Hispanics. Um, but I was very disappointed to see that when those people came and spoke, they would cut away coverage of those people. So like Ken Klasik, for example, in Baltimore, they didn't cover her speech that she was giving. Um, Vernon Jones uh, was speaking, and literally in in about five minutes into his speech, um, the PBS that I was watching, they actually cut off and went to a split screen with Judy Woodruff, and in the other screen, Vernon Jones still speaking. They didn't have her audio turned on yet, and you could visibly see that she was getting instructions in her ear, and she did not know that they were cutting to her. Meaning, this was not a planned thing. They saw a person of color speaking. They cut that person off so that they could then go on. And then what made it worse was then they then ridiculed the RNC for not having enough people of color. And there were comments made about Trump being a racist and things like that. While a person of color is literally speaking at the convention. I mean, you couldn't have made a more biased uh, display of bias if you tried. I mean, it it was absolutely ridiculous. And that's how the convention started. So with that, we rolled right through into the other things. I, I think the winners, there were a lot of winners in the RNC. Uh, they really pulled out a lot of uh, average people to go and speak. There was a, a Cuban exile who had spoken about how horrible socialism, communism is. Um, there was a, a, a great moment with um, a person who's running for Mark Meadows' this seat, uh, and his name just escaped me, but I'll figure it out later. And he he uh, is is paralyzed uh, from the legs down. He stood up for you know and made a statement about standing up for your country and standing up for your flag. Um, all those very very powerful moments. You had former Democrats uh, as a kind of a counterpoint to what the Democrats had, where they had some Republicans who were saying you had to vote for Biden. The Republicans did the same thing. They had some Democrats who came, um, people who were former Democrats, people who were kicked out of the Democrat Party. Um, basically for um, not supporting the party line of Nancy Pelosi. Uh, they had Vernon Jones, who is a Democrat um, from Georgia, who is a state lawmaker, and he went ahead and spoke. Um, and there were a, a lot of good moments with Nikki Haley. Tim Scott had excellent speech, and, and Tim Scott came out. I mean, he had some great lines in his speech, like from, from Cotton to Congress in one generation was one of his lines. Uh, quite fabulous as far as how they approach things. And in the interluding moments, these the things uh, that they highlighted Trump's accomplishments, they really did a good job and concise job over four days of showing the highlights of Trump and his administration getting things done, uh, freeing hostages, for example, from countries, uh, being tough on other countries that we were routinely soft on in the past. Um, he had a naturalization ceremony for immigrants, at the White House, all these big, powerful moments. And, of course, it culminated in the final night of the RNC with the big speech by President Trump, where President Trump really did a good job of separating uh, – well, his speech did a good job on pointing out the differences between the Republicans and the Democrats and what Biden wants and what uh, Trump uh, supposedly wants, right? And – other than that, it, it was a good speech. I, I thought it was very long. I thought it was way too long. Um, I think it repeated itself a few times. 
uh, but very high production, huge speech, um, and he did a good job with laying out uh, really the without getting too much into the weeds and into the dirt um, with Biden, and he kept it pretty uplifting, which was difficult for Trump. I know it must have been a hard speech for him to give. He stayed mostly on teleprompter for it um, and did a pretty good job. He kind of mirrored what uh, Melania had done the night before, which she had a very uplifting speech um, about how to not be a socialist and communist and what she came from a country that was like that. So he kind of mirrored that in his speech, and his speech was pretty good. Uh, I'm not going to harp on it too much because it was a good speech. wasn't spectacular. I don't think it was Trump's greatest. Um, I think it was a good RNC speech. I think it definitely could have been shortened by 30 minutes, um, easily 30 minutes. The fireworks show that was at the end was pretty crazy. Um, and I definitely think that the whole COVID-19 coronavirus uh, preventing the these conventions from being done traditionally benefited the Trump campaign more than it ever benefited the Democrats. I think the Democrats looked like they were really trying hard to figure this out, how to, trying to make this work. At, at first, it was they went first, so of course it was, oh, this looks like they did a good job. The Republicans blew them out of the water. I mean, production value just absolutely killed it. Having the White House as a backdrop, a huge fireworks show with Trump 2020 coming up in it. I mean, absolutely uh, crazy production value. That was totally something that was untouched by the Democrat convention, which if you look at the pictures outside of the convention, it looks like it was done at a, almost like a abandoned Ross. Shop, uh, you know, store in a shopping center and some strip mall. Even I mean, I know it's a convention center, but that's what it, it looked like. It didn't look very uh, good. It was definitely no White House in Washington with all the American flags and the fireworks. So production value in A, speech-wise, a B for the president. Overall, though, I would give it an A for the convention. I think it was done very, very good. Um, and I think you'll see a definite bump you're already seeing in some of the polls for President Trump. Um, after this convention. So I wanted to highlight the convention, but I do want to drive a a, a, differ, uh, um, a difference between the convention and what's going on outside of the convention. So what happened with the president's speech? He brought up some things about how what Biden's America would look like and things like that. And ironically, right outside of the White House, you, got an, a, you actually got a taste of what Biden's America would look like. Um, you had protesters out there who had marched on basically right outside the White House. Uh, people who were leaving the RNC and the Trump's uh, thing were harassed. Uh, people like Ron Paul, for example, which um, – or Rand Paul, I'm sorry, not Ron Paul. Rand Paul was harassed on the way out, which was really surprising because people were yelling at her – yelling at him and his wife in the crowd and saying, you know, say her name, say her name. And they're talking about Breonna Taylor when he is actually the author of a bill um, with Breonna Taylor's in the name in it to stop no-knock warrants. So you're yelling at a guy who literally understands more than you do about the Breonna Taylor situation, but you're so ignorant as a protester that you're just yelling because you're just dumb. You don't know what you're actually protesting for or against. You are low information, low IQ people. Um, and that's my view on the protester. So we're going to get to that. Because um, over the weekend, you know, my original plan was to do a podcast on how great the RNC was and all of its highlights and its lowlights. Um, but that got overshadowed. Because over the weekend, as many of you probably know, there was a, a, a shooting that occurred over last week. Uh, where a man named Jacob Blake was shot um, seven times by a police officer. 
And that began to make its rounds. Of course, a video was released um, almost right on time. As soon as it happened, we get this video. And the video we see is of the of the cop shooting this man. And it incites riots and protests throughout Kenosha, Wisconsin, where the shooting occurred. Um, now, more information begins pouring out of here. But, of course, people don't wait for any more information to come. The press ran with this story with zero information about what was really going on and pushed and incited these people to go out, riot, and protest. And this has unfolded and gotten worse and worse and worse over this weekend. Um, and it has culminated now in the deaths of people because of this um, criminal acts by the, by the media at this point. I mean, the, when the media reports on a story and they just throw video out there and just say, this is something that happened, and don't check any sources. They don't actually confirm anything or know what's going on, and they just throw us out there, and people react to it. They, it. This is purposely done to incite people and get them riled up for something. I mean, we watched the shooting happen, and then we watched all these people come out and immediately virtue signal that, they're, they care so much about this person who got shot and that the cops are bad. And it was the same old thing you've heard from George Floyd, from all these other things, all these other shootings that have happened. And, but as you sit back, you see the real story start to come out. It took a few days. Um, some information started to pour out slowly on what was going on. There's more video that comes out from a different angle. And sure enough, the story of Jacob Blake starts to emerge. Uh, and this guy was not some hero or some martyr or someone you'd go out and march on the streets to support. Um, so what Jacob Blake what has, has come out since is there's a man who was had the police called on him. He had a previous record of sexual assault and rape and um, some other things, trespassing. And the person who, um, supposedly, the person who had originally filed all his complaints and the, those charges put against him had called the police because he showed up. And the story originally was he showed up to break up a fight. He was, there was some innocent bystander there to break up a fight. Uh, that got blown up because he wasn't there to break up a fight. He was the instigator in the situation, according to the, the police reports that have been filed. Um, they were called in to go get this guy. He had a warrant out for his arrest. Um, for sexual assault. Um, so after this, this altercation with this gentleman, they decide the cops are going to take him into custody. He fights with the cops. Um, he uh, refuses to follow any other commands. Um, he, at one point, is in an actual scuffle with these police officers, and he is tased not once but twice um, in this situation. So it's, it's not good. And then he decides to somehow get away from the cops and then go around the front of his vehicle um, a, who that has three children in it, by the way, while police have their guns drawn and are pursuing him, telling him to stop. Um, they Original reports came out that he was unarmed. Uh, ends up he did have a knife, according to the police report. Um, and when he goes to the driver's side of the car, reaches into the driver's side um, with being told not to, and then the gunshots are fired. Um, they found a knife on the floorboard on the driver's seat. And um, Mr. Blake, who's still alive, is now paralyzed but in the hospital um, after being shot these seven times. Now, first, they made the police to be the aggressors. They made the, the media made the police to be the bad guy, the one who just shot this guy with no uh, no reason behind it. And clearly now, after you watch uh, as much of the video coverage that's been released so far, um, it's obvious that this man, Mr. Blake, was the aggressor in this situation 
um, was doing things improperly, was not following any commands, did have a weapon, was a threat to these police officers, and the police officers uh, shot him after he refused to follow commands and went into the driver's side of his car. What He was going into the driver's side car. We don't know what he was trying to get. He had a knife in his hand. Um, he, But at, at that point, the police don't know. He could be, reach for a gun. He's already ignored you the whole time walking away. He's already fought with you. Um, at that point, as a police officer, you do what you have to do to make sure that you make it home that night, and that's what that police officer did. So 100%, in my opinion, justified shooting. Of course, there'll be more information that comes out as an investigation goes. But this launched riots in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which it seems to be the going response for any time anyone is shot by a police officer. The facts don't matter. The investigation is not allowed to go forward. The riots have to start first. And I would call these protests, but they're not. And to call them protests is a 100% bullface lie. You're lying to yourself. If every single day people go out and protest and then every night it turns into a riot, then it's no longer a protest. It is a riot at that point. If it leads to it, it is. These aren't just random couple people doing this in the crowd. It seems to be the entire movement is protest during the daytime, riot at night, loot, burn things, and Kenosha, Wisconsin is still burning. Um, Now, this led to an altercation that now has been covered in the media with a young man um, named Kyle Ritter, uh, Ritterhouse is his last name, and he was involved in a shooting and the killing of two individuals uh, while these Kenosha riots were going on. Now, there's a still a lot that needs to come out in this investigation. I'm not going to defend this 17-year-old kid for getting himself in a situation that he shouldn't have ever been in. Um, I've, I've taken some flack for this, but... I don't think when you're 17 years old, you should go around town with an AR-15 and try to defend people's property. I understand what he was doing. I understand that people are very concerned right now, and and the police are being held back from doing what they're supposed to do. They're not allowed to come in and stop these riots. Uh, these are all Democrat-run cities. These are all people who want to defund police. And and to make a quick side note, I have I had some conversations recently about the defund the police thing. Now, defund the police is something that started from the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, it, it originally was called abolish the police. Um, that was originally Black Lives Matter's position on this. Uh, even their website itself said that they wanted to abolish the police. Um, but however, I got called out over this last weekend because um, I said that, and someone pointed out that their website does not say that they want to abolish police, but they want to defund them and move money elsewhere. So, so the, there's two different things here. One is defunding the police means to take money away from the police that was normally being funded there because um, there's a belief out there that police are overfunded, which is nonsense, but they're overfunded, and then take that money and then send it to other areas in the community um, for an alternative way. Um, of helping the community, which would then prevent the need for policing, and I can I can understand the philosophy by now. Like, you know, if people have housing, if people have um, you know good paying jobs, if people are in a, a good situation, then they're less likely to go turn to a life of crime, and that's that's reality. Socioeconomic sta- status is the number one cause of any kind of crime. The lower your socioeconomic status is, the higher rates of crime in those communities. That's just that is a fact, as a reality. And those communities, in turn, are usually overly policed because. That's where the crime's happening. Police are not going to go. 
police and drive around and patrol a neighborhood where there's hardly any crime, that would be a waste of police resources. You send police where the crime is happening. And then the idea is that you punish those individuals who are doing the crime, and then the crime hopefully stops. And then it makes the community safer for everyone. That's the theory in policing. Um, now, unfortunately... I get that sometimes this doesn't work. You have low socioeconomic status neighborhoods where crime is on an increase. Sometimes they are over-policed, and I do get it. Sometimes the police can be overbearing. Sometimes you can grow up in a world where the police are constantly around you, and they are, they are turned into the enemy, right? That's how they're perceived, that they are this bad force that comes in and gets people in trouble and locks your parents away or locks your friends away, and that is not something you want to aspire to or like. But the reality is people commit crimes and then that thus creates a police response. That is, those, so there's fundamental things we have to understand. Socioeconomic status, that impacts how much an area is policed. The other part is it, of it is an area is policed based on how many criminal acts are actually committed in that area. So there's two things here. It's not just socioeconomic status. Otherwise, all poor people would be committing crimes, and that's nonsense. We know that all poor people don't commit crimes, and that's reality. In fact, very few poor people commit crimes. That's the reality of the situation. Um, so it's, if, if it was just socioeconomic status, it was a matter of diverting resources into that community and thus you know, helping housing or doing something along those lines, you would solve all crime, then you would be able to throw money and solve the problem. It doesn't work that way, though. That has been tried. Money, welfare programs have poured into communities like this. There's more money being directed into low-income communities. Now, part of it's not getting there because of politicians, but there's a lot of money that's poured into these communities to try to help with the situation, and it still has not alleviated crime. Crime has still increased, so the need for policing has increased. Do we need to fund police more? Yeah. Better training? Uh, better resources, all those things would be important. So there's an argument around for defunding police and how you can re-divert funds that are given to police. That is not the Black Lives Matter argument. It is not. Their website doesn't say it anymore, but if you listen to Patrice Cullors, Opal Tometi, Alicia Garza, the founders of this organization and what they actually believe and want and what their website used to say, it is the abolishment of the police is what they believe. That means no more police force does not exist. It's in, it's replaced with community like community policing that's not actually sworn officers from some kind of government entity, but rather social workers or people trained in this that are going to take over and, and run their own community and police their own community. Um, that is the idea behind um, the Abolish the Police movement. Uh, and it has a lot to do with socialism, communism, um, the idea that you have a community and everything's equal and everyone's looking out for each other. This, this communist utopia that doesn't exist in the real world, that is where their belief system comes. They are Marxist. So abolish the police is what they really mean. That's why these riots and things are happening. The problem is the people participating in these riots and in these quote-unquote protests, are, they don't understand what really is going on. They are given information, partial information. They're riled up. They're told to go out there and do this. In some cases, they are paid to go out there and do this, um, but I don't know how and how much those cases are. But there's enough people out there that are fervently attached to the Democrat Party who will go out and do anything that they think will solve racial injustice in this world. 
even if it means going out there rioting and causing the death of more black people. That's the reality because that's who gets hurt in these communities is more African-American communities. It's African-American businesses that are burned down. It's African-American people who are wounded and killed in many cases um, because of this situation. So you're not helping anybody by protesting and rioting in the streets. That's just nonsense. Um, But that is the viewpoint that they have. So we had this situation with uh, Mr. Ritterhouse in uh, Kenosha where originally, again, another reporting incident where the information came out without all the information and people immediately rush to judgment because they think, oh, if NBC is telling me it's true, they must have done their actual job and checked with things and checked with sources and made sure this was accurate reporting and everything else, which is nonsense that does not exist anymore. These people do not accurately report anything. They simply report whatever they see coming across the wire from the AP News, and they regurgitate it. They switch some words, and they act like they're Pulitzer Prize reporters when they're not. These people are not intelligent people who do not know what's really happening in the world. They do not have a lot of sources of information that they use. If you're a reporter out there, you're probably going to be mad that I said that, but that's the reality. Uh, Most of these people are internet Twitter reporters. They're not actual real journalists. That is a... Uh, field of career field that has pretty much died at this point. There's no real career journalists left. Um, they're just Twitter reporters. Twitter gets mad. Oh, must be serious. Let's roll report on it. And you can see how the reporting just completely goes off the rails. And they talk about things that don't even exist. Like, for example, the, originally it was reported that um, Mr. Ritterhouse killed a, a black individual, which he did not. Um, and then it came out that he was he was the aggressor in the situation, and these people were trying to disarm him. But the reality was uh, there was a altercation earlier while Mr. Ritterhouse was supposed to be defending some uh, private property, and they he tried to leave the scene. He was running away from this aggressor, and a gunshot was heard and went off. And he then turned and fired, hitting the individual, I think it's five times, including one head wound. That person was killed in the altercation. Then Mr. Ritterhouse decided he, was, he had to get out of there. He was running down the street being pursued by a bunch of pro- protesters slash rioters. These people following him down the street. He then falls, loses his footing, is attacked by two individuals. One hits him with a skateboard. He then fires on that person. The other one has a gun in his hand. And he is shot as well. And then uh, Mr. Ritterhouse tries to turn himself into police who were showing up on the scene to try to assist the people who were hurt. And for some weird reason, they don't arrest him. Now, that I don't fully understand. I've heard different perspectives on it. Some people say he was trying to turn himself in and his hands were up and it's not illegal for him to carry guns. So the cops weren't that concerned about it. Um, perhaps there may have been more protesters in the area that had guns with them and the police weren't that concerned about stopping them because they have a second amendment right to carry Wisconsin is an open carry state. Um, who knows? The reality is they eventually did arrest him. I believe it was the next day and charged him with murder. Uh, but now that story seemed to falling apart as more and more, uh, footage comes out and the investigation goes, it's probably self-defense for this kid. Um, and he was, you know, the victim here and not the aggressor. However, I do think he should have never been there. We have to wake up and realize that if these neighborhoods, they begin to devolve into rioting and protesting, the average person needs to begin to stay away from this. Um, you need to leave these areas. You need to let authorities do what they have to do. But it's it's tough. If, if Some people, it's their private property. They're going to defend it. 
And if you're a rioter or a looter, you need to be prepared that if you're going to go down that road and you're going to try to take something from somebody, that there's going to be a consequence that you're going to pay. And it could be with your life. So you need to be very cautious if you're going to be involved in any of these protests slash riots um, of what the actual cost really could be for taking someone's property. Um, and I'll get uh, into that in a little bit. So then the next thing, so that, that has unfolded. And then Portland, of course, is still going on. Uh, Portland is now in day 93 of riots and protests in Portland. Um, and now this is going on a month since federal forces were pulled out, so you can no longer blame Trump for it. However, that did not stop MSNBC's Chuck Todd this morning on Meet the Press from trying to drive that point home. In an interview with Mark Meadows, the chief of staff of the president, he tried to basically insinuate that the president does not have control over the country in these areas. Trying to, he kind of he tried to play devil's advocate, but he, he was really just playing intentionally stupid, saying, oh, you know, the president's not in control of what's going on. Isn't he the president of the whole country? Shouldn't he lead the whole country? Blah, blah. Well, it's obviously a complete disregard for federalism and how our system's set up. So hashtag civics class. Here you go. Federalism is a system of government in which you have shared power between local governments, state governments, and of course, the federal government, meaning the federal government has a role in things it does. State governments have a role in things they do. And then local governments, of course, have a role of what they do. You would not expect the federal forces to you know, send in the Marine Corps to go collect your trash on uh, Tuesday, right? Your local government's going to go ahead and take care of that. That's called federalism. It divides power between these levels of government. So the state government is responsible for security within its state. The mayor of Portland, Oregon, is responsible for his city and the security and safety of the people in his city. He has failed miserably at that, and it has now cost the life of someone who was a counter-protester to the protests and riots that have been going on for 93 days. But for some reason, in the mainstream media, he is somehow the, is the enemy and not the victim because he was a Trump supporter. Now, I'm going to withhold judgment on all this because I don't know all the facts about what happened that day. Nobody does yet. They're still investigating that. But there is footage and video out there of people yelling that he was a Trump supporter, shots being fired, and then Antifa slash BLM folks in Portland cheering that on later on and saying that they didn't care that a quote-unquote fascist was killed um, in their city. So uh, without saying what happened in the incident, because I don't know, maybe this guy attacked somebody, maybe the person who shot him was responding in self-defense, I do not know. But I do know that the response from the officials in Portland have been absolutely dismal. Um, at this point. In fact, Ted Wheeler has come out who has not accepted any federal help and then try to turn this and blame the president, which seems to be the going rate for the Democrats. It's the president's fault. All this stuff happens and we all have to sit back and agree with it, which is not true. I mean, the president has offered help to these cities. He has then sent in help to these cities. When these cities have gotten help, the mainstream media has called him a dictator and a fascist, and compared him to Hitler because he's trying to send forces in to establish law and order. So then when he doesn't do it, because Portland didn't ask for it, he's now said that he doesn't have control over the situation and that he doesn't know what's go- like what's best for the country. It's, it's gaslighting at the highest extent. You are being told something to make it as if you are crazy. 
it this is they they are the crazy ones this is crazy the media is absolutely nuts and they're completely off the rails at this point it's election season so this is what's going on the other part of this thing is not just is the fallout of the jacob blake shooting so we have the fallout on one side of the actual violence that's broken out, the destruction, and now the death of three people and counting, right? Two people in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, I, I wouldn't really necessarily connect the person in Portland with the uh, Jacob Blake shooting. That's been going on for 93 days, but it's on the heels of what has been going on in Kenosha, Wisconsin. So um, maybe not connected. We don't really know yet. But anyway, three people have been killed um, since uh, this Jacob Blake shooting has, of course, happened. Um, and now you have the fallout. You have things like the NBA coming out the other night and saying that they were going to boycott the NBA playoffs, which I don't know how many people are actually watching. It's being done the bubble and, and uh, Walt Disney World, and it's kind of been a, a lame season because of half of it being gone. Uh, but they are doing these playoffs, and of course – all of them have to virtue signal and act how tough they are and say they are for social justice, which they don't even know what that means. And so they're all out there protesting now and boycotting the playoffs, which, by the way, only lasted for a day. The, the boycott lasted for a day. It was, uh, we're all going to boycott this. We're not going to play in honor of this Jacob Blake character who happens to be a criminal, who happened to be violating the law, who happened to have a weapon and could have possibly taken an officer's life and was then shot for it. We're going to honor him because we know nothing about the situation. And we're going to not play our playoff game. So everyone pays attention to us and we seem like we're so important. Um, and more of uh, this other guy, this guy's martyred now. This Jacob Blake's martyred now as some hero where games are stopping in his honor, and players are going to wear things now. They're going to say his name on it. I mean, you have a Janoris Jenkins from the, um, new, new, uh, the from the New Orleans Saints who, during practice, had had his name on his helmet. I mean, this is stupidity. I mean, it's like you have a you have someone who's a, a bad person who who was accused of is of raping his his girlfriend, and. W- had a weapon and defied the police, which, after all, they used two tasers on him and non-lethal, trying to not harm this guy more than they had to. And he continued to go forward and oppose them and was shot for his for his efforts. You're holding this guy up as a martyr, some kind of hero, when he's nothing of the sort and shouldn't have ever been held up that way. And that's the reality of the situation. But he's being defended now and it's because we we care more about talking about social justice and talking about uh situations where people are hurt or they get in altercations with police and it doesn't end well but we never talk about the other side of what caused the altercation to happen with the police in the first place that is always glanced over in all of these situations we are holding up as candace owens once said the worst in society is being held up and being martyred and held up to some high regard when these people should not be ever held up. These aren't, you know, this isn't Anne Frank running away from the Nazis and hiding and being dragged off to a concentration camp and killed, and she's an innocent little girl. This is a person who is a bad guy, had gotten in contact with the police because he had done a bad thing, had a warrant out for his arrest, and 
rather than being a man and owning up to what he had done and facing the charges and then taking it up in the judicial system, decides he's going to carry a knife and take it on with the cops right there and lead through a series of events to him getting shot seven times and paralyzed, right? I think we've come to a point in this country where one side believes you can do all sorts of illegal things and not take any responsibility for your reactions or your behaviors. While you have another side that believes in a civilized country, we have the rule of law, we have our rights, and you must follow the rule of law in order for those rights to be upheld. Um, and then go through the judicial system. Now, we can argue day and night over things that we can fix in a judicial system, unfairness that's done. I've seen it firsthand. There are a lot of things that can be improved that can make people's lives better, especially people there on the low socioeconomic side who are many times the victim of a system that perpetuates problems like this. Um, you know, there's a lot we can discuss on that. But we cannot have those discussions if we simply cover up the fact that there are bad people out there that do bad things and there's a price that you pay when you do bad things and you break the law and you don't do what you're supposed to do in a civilized society, right? And I'm not saying be sheep and just do whatever the government tells you because I'm sure someone's going to say that to me. I'm not saying that you're a sheep and you do whatever that you're, the government's going to say you need to do. I'm saying we have a civilized society. The reason why we have a civilized society and we don't have things just erupting and shooting in the streets is because we do believe in following a certain structure in our society of following laws and obeying the laws and following lawful commands of police officers and respecting people in authority and going through process when something happens, right? Due process. We believe in those things. These are American values. It's what separates us from other places in the world where there's widespread chaos in the streets. That's the difference. So when you uphold somebody who is not worthy of being upheld and did not do anything that made them a martyr, you then, by doing that, are disregarding all of the other things in society that hold the fabric of society together. And when that fabric is broken like you're seeing now, you have what's happening in Portland for 93 days, you have what's happening in Kenosha, Wisconsin. You have what happening and what happened in Minneapolis, and there are political people taking advantage of that to try to persuade people to vote a certain way and put certain people in power. And that's the real difference in this election: is the side that's fomenting the violence and the unrest and supporting it and not coming out and denouncing it. Although I will give. Um, some credit to Biden. He did come out and denounce it um, in an interview over this weekend. Um, really the first time he's ever forcibly denounced any kind of violence. Um, otherwise, it's been just wishy-washy denouncing, oh, violence is bad. We don't want to see any violence. There's bad people on both sides. All that kind of stuff. The stuff that is the same thing that Trump was castigated for when he came out and said there's you know good people and bad people on both sides. Uh, when he came to Charlottesville, and he was raked through the coals in the media for doing that. Biden has done the same thing, and yet he's held up as this great person who has this great insight as to what happened. Uh, I mean, it, it couldn't even be it could be more ridiculous and ironic. Um, but that's the situation. The real difference is you have one side supporting this kind of f this kind of behavior, and you have one side who's upholding the rule of law 
and the standards that our country is supposed to live up to. And the, the circle is back to the DNC and the RNC. At the DNC, over eight hours of primetime speeches, over four days, a mention of rioting and looting and the protests was not made once. It was as if nothing was happening around the country. There were, there were talks about social justice. There were talks about African Americans not being treated the same. Of course, there were mentions nonstop about Republicans being racist, which is just made up. And then when you watch the RNC, the focus on the unrest was a major part of it. And not just there's this unrest that's going on, but we need to do better and we need to stop the unrest and we need to live up to the creed of our country, right? That's what we need to do as Americans. So there was an uplifting spirit in the RNC where the DNC ignored things that were going on in reality. And the reason why they ignored it is they thought this was playing well for them politically. That it looked like Trump was out of control. That Trump's America was where all this violence is happening. But that's completely disregarding the fact that every place where this violence is happening, there's one political party that has been ironclad control of these areas for decades. Minneapolis, Wisconsin, Portland... These are Democrat-controlled areas, Democrat cities. They've been that way for decades. And they are the ones where the violence is occurring. And the people that are doing the violence are not people wearing MAGA hats and waving Trump flags. They're supporters of Biden. That's the reality. So we as have a choice in this country right now. We can live up to the creed of our nation. That all men are created equal. And that everyone has natural rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Or we could ignore those things, allow violence to happen in the streets, allow unrest, and have more people suffer and get hurt by this. By this insane movement that's going around where we're upholding criminals and not good people instead of holding up true heroes in our society. You know, there's there was great moments in the RNC where you had some really wonderful speakers, people like Herschel Walker, you know, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, um, Maximo, I think Maximo Alvarez is his last name, the Cuban exile. These are people who had, gave powerful speeches about the freedom and the promise of the United States. And what America truly stands for. The other side doesn't even mention these things. So we have a choice in November to make. And I hope we make the right one. So that's my take on the DNC and the RNC and the situation going on with Jacob Blake. Um, I do hope our country heals from all this. And I do have a feeling that once November hits, you'll see things start to change. But it doesn't matter if you boycott a game for a day or you put someone's name on a or some phrase on a jersey and walk around with it if you have no idea what really happened and what who you're upholding and who who you're holding up rather then all of that means nothing they're just empty words so you won't see an apology from LeBron James or any member of the media saying that they were too quick to rush to judgment and that these people are not what America is supposed to be represented as you won't hear that. It'll just fade away as more information comes out. Um, or 
it'll be doubled down upon that we're an evil country that's racist and horrible, which is absolute nonsense if you know its history. So to reflect on the day that Thurgood Marshall becomes a Supreme Court justice, the first African-American Supreme Court justice in U.S. history in 1967, a man who had fought in the civil rights movement for equality and the freedom of individuals so they would not be treated differently because of the color of their skin. We are reverting to a world that was against everything he had fought for, where we are systematically racist and everyone is bad if they're white and they have privilege that they were born with that no one else has and all these crazy nonsensical claims to try to defend people who just won't do the proper things. This is in no way what America is supposed to stand for, and we must do better than this. So thank you for listening. This is Politics Today. Um, Hopefully I'll be on here with another episode coming up um, and that you guys can listen to. I am on uh, Apple Podcasts and on Spotify now. Just search James O'Hara Politics Today, and you should be able to find it. Um, I also have a Facebook page, Politics Today. Go ahead and like it, and that's where I'll be updating all sorts of cool stuff, so you can go there too. Um, And, of course, if you have any kind of questions, you can comment at Politics Today and comment on this video, or you're more than happy to send me an email at politicstodayjro at gmail.com, and I'm more than happy to try to get back to you. Any ideas for the show or things you want me to talk about, I'm more than happy to hear them. Um, Hopefully you uh, like my take on things, and if you do, Share this video out for more people, and uh, we can expand it even more. So thank you very much, and have a great day.